0: Right on writers. Welcome back to the books by Adrian author platform. This is typewriters podcast where we do a bit of a debrief with our guest from live stream Sunday this week. Our guest today is going to be Lauren Sefchik. She'll be out in just a moment. I am your host, Adrian Santiago. If this is your first time with us, uh, go ahead and consider hitting that subscribe button. It really helps us out with the algorithm and all that good stuff. Uh, All a bunch of math that we don't want to do as Lauren has taught us this week um math is your enemy so uh like comment subscribe all that good stuff downstairs uh links are all downstairs for everything that you might want from me or our awesome guests today and uh i'm not gonna waste any more time let's go ahead and get her out here miss lauren Sefchik. hello hello, hello again welcome um thank you for doing live stream Sunday that was fun
1: that was so fun I had yeah that that was great I had a blast and of course my my bestie in there was just my my greatest cheerleader I love every moment of her that's what it's
0: all about man (laughs) just like just helping each other out lifting each other up that's that's all I ask man just be nice to each other it's awesome
1: she's like free chance to scream at you and other people yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) sold say less as the kids say these days
1: right Mm. oh man so uh
0: i'm very very happy because that's three weeks in a row where our guest has been lovely and energetic and full of information and wonderful stories and uh and we appreciate you taking your time to be with us and meet with us and talk with us um on this show we tend to get a little bit more into the craft of things and so most of what we'll be talking today about is actually how we actually do the thing that we do the writing and uh, all that goes into it you mentioned already in Livestream sunday that music plays a really big part in it uh you're listening to music while you're plotting you're listening to music while you're writing um sometimes you put something on repeat because you want that scene to, to carry on that emotion so Uh, It it sounds like it all comes down to like what the music can emotionally impact into your story. Uh, What do you think that comes from for you? Like, what is it that uh, that connects music to story so vividly for you?
1: I think they're very integral um, as far like they've always been very integral as far as how they connect to one another not only just by you know me but everyone else like so many writers and so many creators use music to everything I mean even on social media platforms where you're seeing like TikToks and things like that like all these trendy ones everything is done to music like music set I think like music is almost like it's it speaks to the heart and soul of an individual, and um, it, it, it's kind of a language all of its own. Like lyrics aside, music is its own language, in and of itself. A universal, and it's universal, yeah. Mm. It's it's something that everyone can enjoy, even if even if the music has no lyrics. Even if the music has lyrics that in a language we don't understand, the the point is that it can still speak to us in different ways. Um and and so it's kind yeah, it's definitely that just like math, the bane of our existence, it's a universal language that everyone understands.
0: I was gonna say the sad truth about it is that music is math. And that's Mm -hmm. uh that's the heartbreaking part of it, is that (laughs) it's why I'm not better at it.
1: It's why I'm not a musical composer. Yeah. (laughs) That's a different that's a different skill altogether.
0: much math involved yeah if we can just do away with all the arithmetic i would really appreciate that thank you yeah my you know um we we're homeschooling our kids so i have to teach my kid math and it's just one of those things where it's like i'm gonna teach it to you but eventually like you're just gonna use a calculator but like i just want i want you to know that (laughs) like, it's gonna be on your phone it's gonna be on your computer it's gonna be on your watch like you can you're just gonna use a calculator (laughs)
1: And then like, especially when I was, gosh, and really setting my age, when I was like in high school and stuff like that, that's when they rolled out the, what we used to joke about back then, the new math, where the concept, like they gave you a, 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 problem to solve and then you had to do like all this long form material and the the point was not whether or not you got the right answer the point was whether you did the process correctly and it it made no sense it's like well if you get the wrong answer what difference does it make if I did the process correctly and then you have You know first off it makes it unnecessarily complicated all right because there were more efficient ways to get a math problem or an answer to a math problem and then there were other kids that literally would just you know do the more efficient one or just do it in their head write down the correct answer but then they would still fail but because even though they got the right answer they didn't do the process and so Mm -hmm. you got docked points for that so yeah that just made it over that just I think that really failed us in, if I had like, and I'm not even saying public education, like that was like a, you know, everyone was across the board. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think when you make things unnecessarily bloated for just for, no reason whatsoever like that that failed us on a lot of different it failed me and i was our, i was already struggling with you know arithmetic as or just math in general so yeah i mean i wanted to get into the sciences i actually wanted to get into virology i wanted to work on the ebola virus and because i couldn't do calculus to save my life that like shut me out of the sciences right right out the gate
0: I have a similar story, but it's not quite as uh, intense. See, I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was a kid, and then I found out that you're at sea sometimes for months at a time, and so most of what you eat is fish, and and I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of eating fish. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna pass on being the next. Jacques Cousteau Mm -hmm. and instead just uh, stick to my chicken and my beef I'm happy with that
1: yeah like when I was in uh, my biology (laughs) class we did do like a genetics segment in school and I loved it like now I couldn't do the mathematical equation of what would be the odds of getting brown eyes over blue or what you know what have you but then I could draw the double helix and then give you the answer (laughs) So it was like I could still do it, I could still get to it, but not in the normal methodology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I literally I literally had to draw it out so I could visualize the probability process and then make a visual determination from there because that's how my brain works.
0: Yeah, I could always figure out the squares, you know, the four squares with that like I can figure out how you know, out of four kids, how many are gonna be blue-eyed and whatever. But uh, you want an actual equation of no, no, pass, hard pass. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I'll tear up a Sudoku puzzle. I'm, I love logic puzzles. I'll chew through those things all day long. Nom, 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 nom. And but yeah, like just, just you know, algebra killed me. Geometry yeah. killed me worse because. Like they're like, well, it's all visual. I go, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. They're just giving you a shape, but it doesn't actually have a standard size. Like I can't compare it to the next circle right next to it and do a scale comparison because they're telling me this same exact circle is a different diameter than the next one. That's the same exact circle because in the end, the visual has no meaning.
0: Yeah. It's It's whatever value they give to it. So
1: it doesn't help me.
0: (laughs) You know, I feel like we've gone down a bad road on this podcast already. We started out and we went straight down the geometry uh, wormhole. Let's let's dig ourselves out of that real quick. Yeah.
1: Solve for x. They're never coming back. No, I don't want to solve
0: for x. I don't. Those days are behind me. No more solving for x. Anymore.
1: okay i'm sorry i i tangent (laughs) squirrels all over the place i apologize no
0: not at all you're doing great um (laughs) how does math play into your writing process right right like
1: the mages (laughs) the mages are you know
0: (laughs) do they have like levels and stuff does it amplify their power are are you doing that kind of like scale thing with, with with them like what's going on there
1: well, like for the, so since we're on this topic, <laughs> going back, yeah, going back to the magic system and specifically the mage class, because I can't, because this, their set of rules does not apply to any other class. It's explicitly them. So in the mage class, you have basically the casters can do three different elements, fire, lightning, ice. Okay. And then, so you've got, that is your baseline. Um, And then from there you can specialize, you can be an elementalist, which is all your support-based skills, your heals and stuff like that. You have your battle magi, which is like all your, all your spells are cast upon you to amplify your physical attributes. And then you have your arcanist specialization where you cast your element really, really big. (laughs) And so basically what happens is that uh, a mage is attuned to a specific element and then from there they're so they can only cast their element but they can cast all the spells from that domain however depending on where they're attuned in the specific domain those spells don't take nearly as big of a toll on their bodies as the others do Mm. so um somewhat spoilery so people want to maybe skip ahead about a minute one particular character colin is an ice mage but he's an elementalist he's support in the book he doesn't cast one support spell except oh no he does cast one on him at one point but his entire shtick does not he he never casts within his attunement in that specific situation, so you're constantly seeing him reach the hemophather stage, where his colleagues are telling him to stop doing that, um, otherwise, you know, bad things are going to happen. So spoiler Mm. over um but that's an example you know (laughs) that's an extreme example of a character in play and there is no mathematical equivalent that i do for it i kind of just like that's where the soft elements come in like the hard the hard magic system is okay you're a mage you can only cast between these three elements you know and, and you use you know arithmancy and you know you like for for best results that are least they're least death inducing you know you want to say the spell in full like fully incant it if you can you want to use charms and and and, uh different bracers that help add extra magic sources so that that way you're not using a hundred percent of your life force all the time which is sapping you of you know which is why mages age faster in this world than most people um you know you start seeing the elements of that and um you know things things of that nature. Basically, when I did each different class, um, you know, you always have that question of, well, if they're, if they can do all this magic casting and stuff, why don't they just blow up the world and take over it? Other than for moral reason, what is stopping them essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So these were my extreme checks and balances. So in the case of mages, it's literally tapping their life source. If they go too far too fast, they'll burn out and become no more <laughs> so um and consequences exactly and then there's others where i do have um it's not in this book and i believe one will show up later in the series depending on whether sh- they are a necessary entry or not um the summoners class there's only 21 of them in the world that is it um and they like the warlock um uh you know class skill you know whatever they're taboo they are hunted
0: hmm. so
1: they don't want to go around telling people that they are what they are and they are definitely only, don't want to be flashy
0: <laughs> are there only that many right now or are there only that many period. ever
1: period because a particular um, deity created 21 creatures in Keeps the pantheons. Balanced. And so there's only 21 creatures to summon from, and each creature bonds to their summoner. And uh. each summoner is blood tied related in some way to the original deity. Or in this case, the deity is like a demon lord kind of thing. So they're not from a good sector of the pantheon (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) that sounds like yeah it doesn't sound like (laughs) these these
1: creatures are really cool you can do a lot of cool things with them and you know just because this just the summoner themselves isn't good or evil or anywhere in between but because of the history behind them and how these creatures were cast crafted and bound to these bloodlines and the the ancient history that kind of thing um they're just, they are definitely a taboo in this world. They're a taboo among the other deities. And so like other deities want to take them out too. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things where it's not beneficial to go flashing yourself around because you're, you're going to get unliked real quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, in mine, um, it's, it's a sci-fi fantasy world. We're mostly taking place in this first story in a very sci-fi environment. So the, uh, the, the fantasy or the magical elements are very kind of few and far between and will grow to be more so in, in the sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going for that kind of soft magic system because as much as I love the hard magic systems, the RPG magic systems, where there are these very hard and fast rules and, and even like, uh, you know, numerical values to, to these powers and stuff like that. Um, I always enjoy the more uh, soft magic systems for myself in reading and therefore in writing because it gives me more room to imagine, you mm-hmm. know, and fill in those in-betweens. Whereas in the other one, I'm, I'm more bogged down with the detail.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and I'm like, well, should this character be able to do this? Does he have all the things that he needs? You know, is this justified? Did he give as much as he needed to give in order to be able to do that. And I'm too concerned in the details to enjoy the story. Yeah. And so that's why things like Lord of the Rings work for me and the Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin work for me because despite their hyper detail in the world, their magic is very vague and yeah. it still makes sense. And there are still rules and they know them, but they don't yeah. need to like drill us with them. And as long as they're consistent, it will always like play well for us as the reader. So that's kind of what I'm going for with mine. It's so interesting these two like flavors, right, mm-hmm. of of the magic system of, of fantasy and how you can enjoy these two very very different kinds of magic. You know, the Harry Potter fans are not exactly the Lord of the Rings fans, and vice versa. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It for me, I would have to say that my stuff is is basically like I said, a hard foundation but with all the soft on top of that so i I mean you know that way it's like okay so at least each caster class has an identity through Mm. the hard foundation but then all the soft parts lets each individual character have individualized challenges and structures to overcome Um, and and it gives me the flexibility to do you know to to Go beyond what just the, the hard line rules are. And then, you know, like there's other, like there's, I mean, fairy tale, things like fairy tales, and for example, The Last Unicorn, okay? The magic in that world, totally soft. Nothing makes any sense. Um, they. <laughs> There is an established rule that the older the creature in time is, the more powerful they are. But even in the end, like, the Red Bull was supposed to be, like, the most powerful as it is the oldest of the oldest. But, like, you know, then the Amalthea has, like, a Care Bear Stare moment at the end, and all of that means nothing. So... (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) yeah, you can go a little too far in the software. I completely agree. If it gets to the point where and 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 the whole uh, that particular magic system where the older you are, the more powerful you are, has always bugged me and always like irked me a little bit because you can't gauge that necessarily. It's telling you that there's a gauge, but making it impossible to gauge. You know what I mean? So it's just like. You're you're trying to be a hard magic system, but getting away with it doing a soft magic system, and I don't doesn't that compute?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because like I mean the thing is that that one rule that I found, if there's any to be found, um, like it tracks when Amalthea goes up against the Harpy Solano. Um, like she doesn't do, uh, like she doesn't tangle directly with the harpy. Um, they just find a way out. But then, like I said, at the end, the final fight with the Red Bull, it's just the unicorn against the Red Bull and the Red Bull is supposed to be older and therefore more powerful. And I mean, at that point, when you're going with a rule of that kind of simplicity yeah Yeah. then when you basically just outright break the rule and it means nothing at the end it's kind of like well why was the rule kind of established in the first place kind of and i get
0: it that they're trying to say oh no but this hero is so heroic and so you know their willpower is so strong that they were able to overcome a stronger opponent i'm like yeah but that's a Literally against the rules that you set up.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I get that it was it supposed to be. It doesn't achieve like, what you
0: think it achieves. Yeah. Yeah,
1: the unicorn learns to, I guess love princely Le- like the male characters in the actual book are completely insufferable prince lear is a total <laughs> simp for the unicorn like right out the gate it, and she I wants nothing to do with him i don't know if you've ever seen the movie because that's what I everyone remembers uh, like I, I love the movie i read the book and it felt like an lsd fever dream <laughs> 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 and it probably was <laughs>
0: Isn't Given that the interesting era in which it was written? <laughs> Isn't that interesting though how like you prefer the adaptation versus the the original and most people are like oh the the book is better than the movie. It's not always the case. Sometimes like you know they made changes to the film that made sense for the film and that led to you enjoying the story more than uh than you do the book
1: yeah like schmendrick is way more lovable in the movie in the book he's very jealous and he gets spiteful the only reason why he helps the unicorn is because he wants something like he wants like Mm. to be close to her like to be the more important individual between if it's between him or molly grew and so when molly grew comes into the the thing like her and you and the unicorn share a closer bond um Mm. and schmendrick has wants nothing to do with that like he gets he gets very insufferable and yeah so it's just like i like the movie adaptation if nothing else the men are more tolerable to deal with
0: (laughs) (laughs) you gotta take the wins where they come
1: yeah (laughs) i I, I scrolled on us again
0: (laughs) all right so Process wise, Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, plotter, pantser, architect, gardener, where do you stand?
1: Uh, definitely, I think, definitely like an architect slash gardener, like I I, I build, I- you know, by the time I'm getting to the point where I'm writing the first draft, the whole thing is already sequenced in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and-, and it comes from like, mo- you know, months of listening to different type of music, kind of my brain putting together music videos to knock out scenes and to get the right vibes and to, you know, and it's, and my brain is constantly sequencing things out on its own. So I spend most of the time on the plotting portion in my own head before anything actually gets to paper or to the screen or anything like that. So usually when I'm sitting down to write the draft, everything is there. The pieces are there. I just need to go and do the thing at this point. Um, So yeah, definitely more of the gardener type. Um, But yeah, like I give myself enough breathing room to have the character's do what they need to do, um, just as long as the chapter achieves a goal. And does this sometimes veer off course? Yeah, but then I go back, I refurbish the outline a little bit to take the change into account. And then I can, you know, I always have a roadmap and it's-
0: similar in that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, as long as the end destination is there, how we go about it doesn't always have to stick to the first outline. It, It has room to breathe. I give myself that opportunity to change course where
0: necessary. I'm going to add the following question to uh, to my list of questions to ask everybody from here on out because this past week, um, I've mentioned that I'm in the editing phase of my manuscript and uh, there, there was a chapter that I had to rewrite from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing didn't work and I needed to rewrite the whole thing. And it is... About halfway done right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's the best thing I've ever written.
1: <laughs> yay! That's <laughs> and it, so good. Uh- <laughs> yay!
0: But also, it's it's the rest of the, of the book. Like, now I'm fighting this urge to rewrite the entire book. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because now oh. there's a chapter in it that, in my mind, stands above the rest. Mm-hmm. And so, do you ever struggle with that? Like, do you ever write something and go... Damn it. Like now I got to rewrite this whole book because this is so good the rest needs to come up to its level.
1: So here's here's the thing. I have a weird set of training. I did mention in the live stream that I have done play-by-post role-playing games. I've done them for decades where you, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it used to be in the in, in olden times, it used to be like on message boards or chat rooms or things like that
0: way it's, back in yesteryear in
1: old, back during the AOL chat room era where you were on dial up and everyone knows the dial up sound by heart uh, <laughs> where us elder millennials twitch a little every time Yeah,
0: <laughs> the closest thing to it is the fax noise that a fax machine makes and it yep. still like gives me like, the, like when I'm at work and I have to fax something I'm like,
1: <laughs> who is anything anymore? <laughs> um, but I have been doing those since I was, geez, like just coming out of, no, I, since, since high school. Um, so that's, that's a long time. I'm not going to calculate out how, how long that is. Um, I wouldn't
0: ask you to. I, I know better <laughs> than to ask a lady how old she is. I,
1: I think my hobbies pretty much speak for themselves where I date stamp. Um, <laughs> 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 um, but like. I do mostly the forum based ones where you're writing text and you're with a group of people everyone builds a world sets rules and then you're just writing back and forth to one another as these characters you decide to portray. Over that time you work with so many different players. Everyone has their own agendas. You get you get toxic elements in there and you learn how to deal with it like everyone wants to be the chef in the kitchen, kind of things. And so over the years, I have learned to be thrown so many monkey wrenches Mm. that basically whenever I go into a story, I typically have several backup plans. Like, that's why I said whenever something veers off course, I'm just like, okay, so then it changes this, 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 and this. And so if it changes something in the back, I just write myself a little note for when I do the editing phase going, okay, this needs to adjust. But then basically i'll take a moment of pause usually um and then i'll just think through it and i'll just like my brain will just start like a computer just start for you know throwing out all the different ways all the different new avenues i can take and whether or not the end result like i start going through the story with the different end results and figure out which which path is the one to take as opposed to rewriting the whole book from the ground up again um so so i basically take it as a okay this was a monkey wrench how do i work with this going forward kind of thing and i'm so used to that like that is literally 20 plus years of writing process and experience of just you know constantly being thrown random stuff and learning to work with what you're given um, that, yeah, I I don't personally end up running into that specific roadblock as a
0: result. <laughs> it's a new one for me. It's a new one for me. But, yeah. you know, it, it is my first novel, so we'll see how it goes.
1: You know, like, always, your first one is always going to be all of the, like, when you, like I said, it's the discovery of what your process is. Um, and that's on every debut novel. And that's what yeah. I learned. I learned that I was not a, a pantser because then I literally just got stuck and I couldn't, you know, I'd work on it for a couple of months and then I'd wor- not work on it for eight months and then work back, you know, like I said, 40% took me six years. The Seeing other the 60% took people. me two months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've, I've definitely been there. In fact, the the entire reason why I, I switched gears to this project is because I spent like almost five, six, God, maybe even close to seven years on a different project that i never finished because it just kind of like i was spinning my wheels on it you know mm-hmm. and it's a it's a project where like there's a there's a particular standard that i'm holding it up to and i'm not there as a writer and i had to like it took a while but i had to come to terms with that myself and, and be like, you know, let me step aside from this thing that I need to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And instead focus on something a little more simple, a little more me, a little more, you know, comp- I can deal with a novel, you know, instead of this graphic novel series that I wanted to do. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I feel that for sure. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot of, on this uh, channel about imposter syndrome. And I, that's another thing that I always ask uh, our guests do you struggle with that at all? How do you deal with it? Imposter syndrome and writer's block are the big two that that every new writer wants to know about. So what do you think?
1: Um, I am, again, weird. Um, The imposter syndrome, I tend... I, I get it in little waves, but I don't tend to dwell on it because it's not productive yep. to the cause, and so I just tend to ignore it. Um, and, and like I said... Like I, I do the MBTI thing, so it's my INTJ brain. Like everything is already preprocessed in my head before I'm going down to things. I mean, I would have to say, like, am I as polished as like your George R. R. Martins, or am I as polished as whatever? I, I would say no. <laughs> yeah, um, no I, I'm not that tech. I'm I'm a crap technical writer. Um, And I know that, but that's what a professional editor can be hired to do is to handle all that nonsense. I'm not super prosy, I've accepted that. Like I'm more, I'm your popcorn flick type of writer. I'm, you know, you go in, I just, I'm here, I'm like your campfire storyteller. Like you come in to just be told a fun story that you can either emotionally resonate with or have a lot of fun with. Or just enjoy like you know it'll have some serious moments but in the most but it'll have lighthearted moments and it's just meant to you're just meant to sit back and relax and kind of let the story take you for a ride kind of thing um i'm not i don't really try to bogged down in the details of like really trying to commit to sending a message kind of writer and i think that's you know um and and others are and that's fantastic but i've never been that type of writer and so i think that's maybe where some of the imposter syndrome comes from is that when you when you're reading the works of individuals who have that multi-layer messaging like they're trying to make either this huge political statement through allegory or metaphor or whatever and it's these like bestseller high award type tier books like um i mean that is fantastic and if that's what you strive for then obviously hone your craft for that and just know that you're never going to be perfect the first time around so just keep going keep writing books keep publishing you know keep going you will get there as long as you keep practicing to make progress Um, but if you're not that type of writer, then don't try to beat yourself up over something that's just not you and is not your style. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cause there's readers too, that they want meaty in depth, um, uh, reads like that. And then of course, then you've got others that are like, you know, I I just want popcorn material. Like, just give me, I just want to be able to sit down, decompress and just read something that takes me off somewhere that I don't have to like overthink it all the time. Um, and I think I'm kind of leaning more towards that, and I just accept that as a writer. Um, and so, you know, the few bouts of imposter syndrome that do sneak up on me every once in a while, um, that mainly come while I'm sell- trying to sell my book to others or try to pitch my book to others. Mm. Um, I just ha- I I just have to ignore it because it doesn't do me any good.
0: You know, you're you're echoing a little bit of uh, of. Uh, um... <laughs> garrett robinson i was blanking on his name garrett robinson a couple of weeks ago was talking about that same thing and um you know finding your voice and all of that and 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 how especially that first book is that process of figuring out who you are as a writer what you're like what your process is like and that self-awareness is priceless i mean self-awareness is at the end of the day what it's all about, because as long as you're not hurting anybody else, being yourself is the end goal. It's just to be yourself as openly as possible. And in this case, as a writer, as an author, Mm -hmm. know thyself, be thyself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, and since talking to him about that and, and and you kind of echoing the same thing, I, I, I'm thinking about myself as a writer and the kinds of stories that I write. And it's like, I, I, read all of that like epic fantasy stuff all of that like hyper detailed you know very vivid world stuff so that i can write the popcorn version of those things as you refer to the popcorn version the the one that like is a little more accessible to most because it's not quite as detailed but it has the room for all of that yeah all of that epicness is in there you just kind of have to fill it in with your imagination
1: yeah and i mean like you know i'll i'll there are certain like little messages that I like to put in there and stuff like that. And I in, in the end, I'm just, I'm just writing an experience for these characters. And they're all, they all come from different backgrounds. They have different challenges that they try to overcome. I'm not trying to pinpoint to any one particular message. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I like to let my readers figure out how the book touches them from for an experience um how they picture the characters in their heads how they experience the world um you know how one character story specifically resonates them because you know I had I have certain certain readers will come back and go oh did you write the character specifically like this no I didn't specifically go in for that but if that message was good for you all right then, then roll that's with that. what it is yeah. for you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's okay. Just because you know, and and that has to, that that will always be a double edged sword because then you know, especially with me being computer paper colored, um there may be something subconscious that I end up writing that ends up being in a bad interpretation for someone else. That it's sure. harmful for them. Always a the danger
0: these days. Sure.
1: Yeah, and and while it's never my intention to cause harm to to anyone, every there's so many people out. In this world everyone has so many different life experiences that there will be at some point something i will write will cause harm and in that particular instance i'll i'll always do what i can to do better um but in that case then just don't read my book just it just i don't ever want to cause harm or danger or any type of trauma or have anyone relive that in their own you know experiences and you know so i mean that the the art form is a double-edged sword in in all cases so
0: you're you're putting yourself out there you know it's um yeah it's very uh you feel exposed Mm and you are you're vulnerable but that's part of the art you know every artist will tell you the same thing when they put out a painting you know you're just
1: Mm -hmm.
0: kind of burying it all out there
1: yeah someone sees a butterfly another one sees like the apocalypse like yeah <laughs> and, and you know
0: and they're both gonna get pissed at you over it
1: <laughs> and i went in going i was drawing a flower i don't know where yeah. you.
0: <laughs> you both are yeah like,
1: <laughs> i'm not anywhere on either of these pages i don't know where you got either of those results but okay i'll roll with it like i mean it, it's I, I never want to deny a person of their experiences with something or a, a process or a material um you know i i always go in with the intention of trying to do no harm but i know that that's not a hundred percent a guarantee Amen. with whenever i write world, yeah yeah, yeah.
0: We, we we do our best we do our yep. best
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. we try
0: <laughs> lauren thank you so much for being on both shows today this was thank fantastic you for you were me. a wonderful guest i can't wait to have you on again and uh for everybody else uh who wants to know more about miss lauren safchick here please Click her links down in the description down below, her website, her social media. It's all on there. You can buy her books through uh, those links there. So go ahead and support Miss Sefchik with her series. I, I can't wait to read it. I, I, I'm sorry I haven't had time to read it yet, but it is on my list, and you, I will read
1: it. My TBR list. like I think I've got like 50 indie books that I i promised people I would read, and I get through 12 a year. I am screwed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're screwed. We're all going to die with 2B red piles that are just like.
1: Just bury me in with the <laughs> with my It'll books. Be,
0: we'll figure it out in the afterlife. It'll be fine. Right? <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you so much for being here. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, any questions for uh, Miss Sefci, go ahead and uh, leave them in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to forward them to her and everything. Um, and uh, as always, thank you for being here. Like, comment, subscribe. Write on writers.